0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet. It's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Lee. The Commodores got their first football win of the season, beating Colorado State 24-21 in Fort Collins on Saturday. Here to talk about it today's guest, Mitch Light. Mitch, of course, a college football editor at the Athletic. He's a Vanderbilt grad. Mitch, thanks for joining us today on what is a really busy time for you.
1: Yeah, uh, good, good to be here, Chris. Yeah, um, uh, I would say beats the alternative. Being busy this time of year, so uh, but uh, uh, a good time of year.
0: Well, it's nice to discuss a win for a change. It's been almost two years and. Thank God we've got some different subject matter for today. So what did you make of Vanderbilt's 24-21 win in Fort Collins?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you would have told me that Vanderbilt won 24-21 before kickoff, I would have said, okay, I could see that happening. Despite the ETSU performance, I think we all expected something better on the field. That would not have been surprising. If you would have told me that after the first quarter, I would have argued vehemently and said, you're, you're crazy. I mean, there's no way you could look at the first, the, the way that game started and think that Vanderbilt could come back and win, um, to use a dumb cliche. That's why they play the game. And that's why they, you know, let people like us make predictions and be wrong half the time. Uh, but in, in, in our, in people who, anybody who watched that game's defense, you didn't see it coming. You know, you couple with the ETSU performance with the first quarter performance, um, I don't know what switched. The light bulb. I'm sure there were some nice adjustments made. Maybe experienced some success. Got some confidence going. But uh, you know, I, you can't overstate the importance of the win. Um, you don't want to overstate. You know that the, um, the that that this means this team is off to you know a, a lot more wins. I didn't say that very uh, efficiently, but you know it was not a great opponent. But it was a very, very, very important win. And the way they did it was extremely significant.
0: Yeah, they just need wins at this point. And you might have discounted a win after last week. Well, I don't think you would have. But, you know, I would have discounted beating ETSU a week ago because they've always done that until they didn't. So to me, just having something like that in your back pocket um, with the confidence that goes with it, it is huge. And I did feel like that team. Was a whole lot more confident in the second half than it was in the first.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Just experiencing some success, and you know it's just common nature in athletics or anything. When you when you kind of get literally and physically punched in the mouth like they did against ETSU, you're going to question your ability. You're going to question a lot of things. And when you open up the game not playing well, it's just like I said, human nature for for doubt to creep in. So give them. All the credit, you know, Ken Seals was, was obviously played very well in the last three quarters or two two plus quarters. And um, I thought Vanderbilt's wide was, re- you know, going into the year, we thought Vanderbilt's wide receiving core would be its strength. And I thought that was a big difference in the game that they're, you know, Colorado State struggled to cover them. And that, you know, they got open or made good catches or a lot of pass interferences, which I thought were legit calls there. Um, so, you know, that w- that was nice to see. And um I thought Ray Brim on Davis, you know, ran the ball hard, clearly not getting enough help from the offensive line right now, but get some yards after carry and kind of the they got some help from some penalties, but picked up some big first downs on that last drive too to set up the field goal there. Um, so, uh, again, a, a, a lot of positives to take away um, after a really, really disastrous start.
0: You brought up a good point there because Ray Davis was not a guy that we talked about a lot in the aftermath of the game and the running attack wasn't great, but there was a spell where they started getting it going on offense where he was getting four, five, six yards a chunk, and that makes it a lot easier when you don't have to be so predictable because to that point, nothing much was working, but when you had a little bit of a running game, that seemed to spark some other things.
1: Yeah, well, it goes hand-in-hand. You know, If you can't throw the ball, then it's more difficult to run the ball, and they were able to throw the ball some, so that opened up. I I think this is a game where they, they really missed Ben Presnahan. Um, with the short passing game, his ability to get open, or not necessarily his ability to get open, his ability to make contested catches. I think he really would have been featured in this game. And you might know more than me about his injury. I think Clark Lee said at some point it's not necessarily that long term he was there, which is a good sign. You know, if he was really banged up, they probably wouldn't have traveled across country. So hopefully they get him back soon. But, um, yeah, I, I thought it was just obvious when, when when the offense got going, they were able to, to run the ball to complement that short passing game, too.
0: Well, they. I felt like they worked the middle of the field a little bit more, and I think that's where Ben can really help them when he yeah. comes back.
1: Exactly, and that's what kind of watching that game. I was just like that. That that'd be a good place for you know Ben Bresnan to catch the ball, and he just he complements you know with uh, with Cam Johnson kind of in the slot, and then what the guys on the outside can do. That you know they if they can get some protection, they'll be able to move the ball.
0: Yeah, and. Shepard and, and Pierce really work the edges of the field. So I think you're right. It's like those four together, the synchronicity between all of them, I think is something that offense would really benefit from.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and um, it's not rocket science. It's like if you can do one thing, that opens up another thing. And and um, they've got different wide receivers with different skill sets. I, I don't know if they've got the true burner. I, I don't think they do have the true burner, but they've got pretty much everything else from a, a pass-catching standpoint.
0: What do you make of them defensively through two games?
1: Um, in full confidence. I mean, full uh, disclosure. I think I told you this. I did not see the entire ETSU game. I was work. We've got sort of these new shifts that we do at the athletic, and I had it on my laptop, and I was working, so I, I saw like probably half of it. Um, so obviously, the the way they got pushed around in that game was was concerning. Um, after the it's i'd have to go back and watch the, the uh, and I, I probably will do at some point this week the Colorado State game because the first drive was i mean i'd say like it was comically bad it was like alabama against vanderbilt or alabama against anybody the way they moved the ball the way colorado state moved the ball like every play worked the only play that didn't work i think we had about 13 guys on the field uh an old derek Dooley play um against lsu so um you know i the, the defensive line i thought they did that's as many passes knocked down by a defensive line at Vanderbilt that I can remember. I mean, you don't see that very often and that's um, so give them credit for that. I think part of that was, you know, Colorado state, the quarterback probably not doing a great job with his vision there. Um, But they were a lot more physical, a lot tougher at the line of scrimmage, a lot more seemingly a lot more negative plays. And, you know, anytime you hold the team to, what was it? Four straight three and outs or four or five straight punts in the third quarter, you're doing something right there. So clearly, um a step up and you know I don't know I didn't even look did ETSU play Saturday I they
0: beat Virginia Wise I think it was 42 to 14 I think that is a okay. division two team but yeah I could so be
1: I, my point being I'll be interested to see not that Vanderbilt or any you know power five teams should judge their performance based on the quality of the uh, FCS team but hey you know South Dakota was a good team that um you know took that that beat colorado state there's a lot of different levels of fcs teams and you know vanderbilt's played like that etsu two years team two years ago two years ago was not very good and again the point isn't to say oh that's a good etsu team but if they do well at that level that maybe explains a few things um but overall to answer your question obviously uh starting in the second quarter vanderbilt's defense played a lot better
0: This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast is made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. And just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville. But he sees regular folks like you and I as well. And what people like about the experience is the ambiance. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. I went in and looked at it myself. That's exactly what it is. It is a relaxing, friendly environment. So whether your dental needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody. Call him at 615-270-2322. His office is located at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown Nashville, not far from the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player, a huge booster of Commodore athletics. His support as the title sponsor for season seven is the reason we are able to do this podcast. Go see Dr. Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of the Vandy Sports Podcast and tell him you heard about it here. I want to get your take on coaching style because my philosophy is you are what you are and you don't just become a screaming lunatic or something if you're not. And I think we all know Clark Lee is stoic. But my thing with James Franklin, they had some guys in Herb Hand, really, a lot of those guys were, but Sean Spencer, they had some guys on the staff. And James was a rah rah guy too, but it just felt like they needed some energy from somewhere. Going forward, and again, I think maybe Trey McBride gave them that when he, you know, started a little thing on the sidelines there. But to me, that was one thing that I was looking for: is like, where do they get their energy from? Uh, and it seemed like they found some in that one.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's tough to see watching a game on TV. Um, I think uh, offensive line coach AJ a- a- Blazek is a uh, you know pretty high energy guy, which you'd expect from offensive coordinators. But you're right, Clark is, you know, very stoic on the sideline um, you know, his coach, Bobby Johnson was, I always thought Bob people, you know, if you watch Bobby a lot, he, he would get fired up and fight for his team against the officials. Like he, 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 he yelled at officials a lot. Um, he, other than that, he wasn't very emotional on the sideline. And I haven't seen Clark yell at the officials yet. I think there was one time when he was, I forgot it was the ETSU game or this game when he was clearly upset about something there. Um, but, uh, yeah. And you know, that's one thing for for seven years I was on the sideline, so around coaches and you're right so certain coaches are you you could look at them on the sideline not even just head coach assistant coaches you look on the sideline and not be able to tell if the, the team was up 14 or down 14 um and Clark kind of gives you that look as the head coach
0: one other thing he did differently in week two was they subbed a lot more I don't know if that had to be altitude I'm sure that had something to do with it but I didn't think they subbed enough in in week one. And that's one thing that James did a lot that worked for them. And it's going to be interesting going forward to see if they are going to use and rotate more guys, because I think that might've helped them out in Fort Collins.
1: Yeah. And and I'd have to go back and look. I mean, I I don't know what Vanderbilt scholarship numbers are this year. Um, If they're up to 85 or eighty, whatever the limit is, um, clearly this roster isn't as talented as the, is, I, this is the one James took over, I don't think. Um, so that one probably had more depth um, than this one did. So they probably felt they had more bodies that they could, um, you know, send out there. So it's just, it comes to a point where rotate Bobby Johnson once said to me, I was just talking to him. It might've been on the record, but I used to talk to him for the Athlon stories. Like as a coach, you go into these games with this plan and say, so I want to rotate. I need to keep my guys fresh. I want to get these young guys some work. And then when push comes to shove and it's in the late third quarter, you say to yourself, well, is my starter? It's 80 percent better than the backup at 100 percent. And those are difficult coaching decisions that you got to make. And, um, you know, if you don't feel good about your backups, then you're, you're better off keeping your starters in even if they're tired. And I just don't know. It depends, obviously, position by position, but how much depth they, have, they feel good about
0: I am surprised he's not used more freshmen because I thought freshmen, and I guess it's the nature of fall camp, they get a lot of work. But I thought he particularly had some guys on the defensive side that might be able to help him. Now, I'm not saying he's making the wrong decision because they're the ones who know who can handle what and and who can't handle what and who might be making good plays at times but blowing assignments in ways that you can't see Just you and I are watching the game. But that is interesting to me that they got one of the better freshman classes that they've had in a while. And a lot of those guys seem to show out at times in fall camp. But we're not seeing them. I think they played, um, oh, Terion Sugik, uh, Sugik, however you pronounce it, at defensive tackle. He's not even the first one. In fact, I would have thought that they'd have played Devin Lee or – Marcus Bradley before him I, I thought he at best was their third best freshman defensive lineman or maybe that is area of need um, I guess Malik Langham is banged up and so Sujic fits inside as a tackle whereas Lee has played on the edge uh, Bradley I think can play all over the place but are, are you a little surprised and, and maybe this is a, an impossible question for you to answer because we just don't have much to go on with Clark Lee and you only got to go to a practice or two yourself. But I would have thought that we would have seen more new faces by now than we've seen.
1: Yeah. I mean, difficult for me to answer um, that and didn't turn this, didn't want this to turn into a Bobby Johnson podcast, but I remember once after I asked him a question about something, I turned it off and like, he wasn't mad at me. It was about the quarterbacks one year. I forgot. He turned it off and he's just like, Do people really think we don't play the players that we think are gonna win? Like it was just it never occurred to him that like why would I not play the guys that I think are give us the best chance of to to win? So I guess that's my they might not always be right, but that's my guess my way of saying the coaches are are playing the guys that they think they think they should play. Again, you know, they like you said, they have more information um Then us so I again I've seen two practices in a game and a half so I can't sit here and say that X certain freshmen should be playing.
0: Well, there's also little games within the game sometime too It is not wanting to reward somebody for bad behavior or bad practice habits and wanting to set an example for your team and let, let's face it, they are trying to change the culture. nobody realistically expected them to win more than three or four games and so I, I'm not suggesting this is the answer but when you're trying to establish a culture, sometimes you, you probably want to make sure you send the right messages to your kids for the things that that will do going forward
1: no doubt no doubt and those are things we're obviously we're not privy to and um you know i, I remember kevin stalling's first year when he had that uh really they just didn't have a deep roster i like scholar they didn't have that many scholarship guys and you know every coach said this but the the the, the you know the only way that guys are going to learn is, you know, put them on the bench because sometimes you're forced to play players that as a coach that you don't want to play for reasons like you mentioned, attitude reasons or stuff. So, um, I, I would knowing what I know about Clark Lee, I would think he'd be willing to, uh, you know, not teach a guy a lesson. That's not the way to say it, but get his message across, um, and, and not play a kid who he didn't think was, you know, working hard enough or doing the right things.
0: Yeah. I, and I'm with you. It is rare that you Having known the personnel after watching fall camp that coaches, I think, make bad decisions, Uh, Oreo is very fired up over this. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a coach at Vanderbilt that I thought made the wrong decision with the quarterback. Maybe uh, the the one that I might push back on, I don't know if the Riley Neal, Deuce Wallace thing, how competitive that was. There was some talk that – uh, a lot of kids on the team wanted, wanted deuce. Of course, they had been around with them longer and had more cohesiveness with them. But quarterback's one that I rarely see a coach at Vanderbilt make the wrong call on. You know, the, the two that I can think of, uh, you know, Jordan Matthews would go out there as a freshman and just make plays in the fourth quarter. And then they'd go back to the next week, get blown out. You'd see Jordan catch a, a, a touchdown in the first half and go, why isn't he playing? Keyshawn Vaughn was the other one. Uh, you know, they, they shorted him carries for the first half of the season, his first year on campus. But th- those are the two that I can think of that probably stand out the most.
1: Yeah, I mean, I remember the Jordan Matthews one. Um, I think there were some other circumstances with Keyshawn too. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, that's. it's easy for us to sit here on the outside and we see production, we see athletic ability, and why shouldn't he? Why shouldn't that guy play? I think Bobby Johnson was kind of averse to playing freshman a lot of times. And, um, you know, James, Fran- there was something with Jordan that didn't click. J- I remember Jordan didn't play a lot in Franklin's first. Maybe that's what you're talking about. But his, his true sophomore year would have been Franklin's first year and and didn't play a ton. Certain times people would ask about, James Fran- about Jordan Matthews and he had a stock answer like Jordan's working hard or needs to do things we need him to do. There's 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 something weird going on with Franklin and Matthews for that first half of the of his first year as well.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think James agreed with me because I, I'd go to practice. Jordan would just light it up to the point that I would make jokes that uh, after practice I'd bring a report and I'd say the Jordan Matthews practice player of the day is. Uh, he was that good. Um, James saw it differently than I did for whatever reason. Um, we know how that panned out. But, yeah, I mean – you just you just never know, but I, I'm with you. I don't think on the whole that I, I think most coaches that I've covered at Vanderbilt have not made gross decisions with personnel. Now, I I think the one, the, the one thing that I just I don't know how it's going to resolve for them right now is the offensive line play. Just maybe some of the subs they made because they brought Hernandez and Dawkins in at guard, and Bruno's a guy who notices. his – this more than I do having played offensive line at Vanderbilt, but it did seem like things picked up for them on the line when they made that sub maybe.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's the thing too, about, um, as I've spent half the podcast defending coaches and their personal decisions, sometimes you just don't know until a guy plays. I mean, whatever you call him a gamer or whatever, or, you know, a better player than game performance and practice player. The, that, that that's the argument for tweaking things or, or giving a, another quarterback a shot. Sometimes you just never know until a guy goes out there. And so let's say some guy's not a great practice player and you put him in at right guard or right tackle. And you know, they start running the ball better on that side. And you know, these are hypotheticals, but that, that's the argument for, for mixing things up. And sometimes that happens and you can, can you can, whether it's by injury or whatever, you can stumble across um, some, some things um, that work better than you thought they would work or weren't working in practice.
0: Anything else on the Colorado State game that stands out that you wanted to talk about here?
1: Um, not really. Um... You know, it's funny. The ending kind of reminded me of the, uh, the that Georgia game they won down there with Chris Nixon. How settling for the field goal, so to speak, uh, rather than keep driving, punching it in. And you know, even Corey Chavis, who was on the call, is like, or maybe was the play-by-play guy. Do you take a shot here? You know, if you take a shot to the end zone and you throw an interception, then you just—it's the worst decision ever. Um, but you know, depend. It worked out because uh, field goal was good. And um, but. And, you know, they ensured that they worked the clock down as much as possible because if you throw the ball once or twice or, you know, uh, then the clock stops there. So it, it worked out. But I'm never that averse to trying to maybe score a touchdown there. But, it, again, it worked out, and they've got confidence, uh, obviously. But, uh, no, and, you know, we'll look back, and um, we don't know how the rest of the season is going to go. But, uh, again, we don't don't want to overstate the, the the win from a, who they beat. It's just the fact that they needed – to experience some success. Even if they lost the game, I mean, it would have been bad the way they took the lead and all that, but at least there was some progress made because if they go down and they're there and they lose 31 to three and just look awful, then you're looking around like what in the world is going on? I mean, we knew that it wasn't the most talented team, but there's no excuse for losing games like that. So it was just encouraging to see them uh, to battle back like that.
0: All right. I want to flip the subject to Stanford, which beat Southern Cal over the weekend. And as we have started this podcast from the time we started uh, until now, apparently it is broken in the meantime that USC has fired Clay Helton. Um, So Vandy's next week opponent just got a coach fired. I want to know what you think of Stanford. I'm looking at various power ratings and – this morning, Sagarin has Stanford 22. Pro Football Focus has Stanford 53. FBI FPI has them 53. SP Plus has Stanford 54. College Football News has Stanford 27. CBS has them 45. USA today has them 43 in their power poll. All over the place, uh, what do you make of this team?
1: Well, I saw some of the Kansas State game and they looked absolutely inept. Now they play both quarterbacks. and I think Tanner McKee went the whole way um, on Saturday and, you know, credit Stanford. I didn't see the game. Um was watching, was watching I guess Vanderbilt and some other games too, but and again, you never want to take anything away from Stanford, but from those that watched it, it seemed like it was as much USC as it was Stanford. Uh, but again, anytime you go beat a team like USC in the, in the Coliseum, you're, you're doing something right. So but the the you know Stanford has built a great program and David Shaw has such a great reputation. But if you dive into the numbers, there's been some slippage in recent years. you know they're 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 not what they were. They don't have basically they haven't been since Derek Mason left, they haven't really been that good defensively. Um, and they've had some great skill obviously with McCaffrey, some great running backs. They always said you know Davis Mills was a really good quarterback. I, Tanner McKee again played pretty well. He played very well the other day looking at his numbers, so it's a roster that's clearly better than Vanderbilt. Um, but it's not the Stanford of 2014 or 2015.
0: I want to talk SEC for a minute before I go to a mailbag question and then get you out of here. L- let's just skip Alabama and Georgia for the moment. They're consensus one two by everybody. What do you make of, of the rest of the pack? I, I think it is really you know. Florida, Texas and m, Ole miss. you you can make an argument and a lot of orders for those three. I think think you've got another six, seven good teams after that. what do you what has really stood out to you in the SEC so far, accepting Bama and Georgia from the conversation?
1: Well, it's always at this point of the year, it's always so difficult because of schedules. You know, to like who have you played? And you know, Florida has looked good, and Anthony Richardson, I haven't seen much of their games, but those that have and the Florida people seem to think that Anthony Richardson's the better quarterback. But Emory Jones is the guy that's paid his dues in the program. It's a fourth year guy there, and he's going to start against Alabama. Um, You know, I I think Ole Miss could be sneaky good. You know, again, it's like, how good is Louisville? How good is Ole Miss? Well, how good is Louisville? You know, Ole Miss defense looked great against Louisville, um, but we don't want to overreact. We know their offense is going to be good. Um, A&M's defense uh, lost in the quarterback, you know, losing Haynes King and their their issues on on offense is that that A&M defense is fantastic. Um, so th- they're going to be really good. You know, Arkansas, obviously, with a great performance after struggling with Rice. So I think you kind of said there's just after the big two, it's too early to sort them out. Like, if you know, I haven't if you had to do a power ranking, who would I put third right now? I'd probably stick with A&M. They won a game when their quarterback got hurt um, and had to kind of, you know, put it together, they also fumbled in the end zone. They could have scored again there. Um, So, you know, I'd go probably A&M next and then uh, Florida, I guess. Kentucky's obviously looked good. They, they, they could have blown out Missouri. They had some, some, I think a big turnover that that swung momentum there. Um, You know, Auburn hasn't, Auburn's got obscene numbers, but, hasn't played anyone yet there. So it's, you know, as always, it's going to be fun, but you know, Alabama, Florida, do we think Florida is going to win the game? No, but it's a good barometer after Florida played Alabama well in the SEC championship just see what that offense can do. So, uh, you know, this isn't uh, anything earth shattering, but we're going to find out a lot more over the next month.
0: Am I right to have a bad feeling about where this is going at LSU? I mean, the defense with all the talent they have at corner, you know, they got, embarrassed I think by UCLA which is going to do that to some people I'm sure and you know offensive offensively they had what not not a big number this weekend against McNeese State which by the way isn't very good this year uh you know sometimes that's one of those contending for a national title FBS teams that's not that bunch they I think had three guys out on the offensive line this weekend I don't know that's just one of those that it seems like there were some bad seeds this year and the fact that they have not come out uh, more demonstrably this year, in the way that they have played, uh, I, I don't know. I'm, that that one to me, I'm concerned about.
1: Yeah, no, totally. Because um, if you're at Ogeron, on the last thing you wanted was the after the questions from last year, and you know you could forgive them COVID and all that stuff, but. There was a lot not to like about that LSU team last year, and they open up and they get men, not manhandled, but they get outplayed by UCLA and then don't look great in week two. John Emery, their they're running back, who they thought was going to be their starter this year, former five-star, was declared academically ineligible today. Um, so, yeah, and they've got an AD in Scott Woodward Woodard, or Woodward, who's, you know, he's the one that hired Jimbo at a and m not saying he's going to hire Jimbo. That's not going to happen, but he's not afraid to make big, bold moves. Um, you know? he he, he's the the they're a place that obviously expects to win at a high level and and if this does not turn around quickly i would not be surprised if there was a change there at the end of the year
0: woodward seems like the type of guy that likes to everybody to know that he's a a big cheese in charge there definitely he's
1: got a big ego and you know he's he's done he he's he's made like he's executed uh big bold moves and and that's what guys in powerful positions like to do and and um they, they, they like to steal the headlines, and, and that's what he's done in his career.
0: Yeah, well, he got Baylor's women's coach when nobody thought that was going to happen. He went pretty hard after Corbin. That one didn't happen. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think that I think that if they make a change there, he's just going to go swing in for the, the biggest name wherever, whenever.
1: Yep, yep. And, um, yeah, he's, they're, just, they're just not going to put up with that at, at LSU much longer
0: okay let's go to the mailbag one question here the mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk a family-owned injury law firm if you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident give Taylor or Russell a call that number 615-846-6200 see what your rights are and if they can help Musa asks Mitch is there something to be said for the way this team fought back this week compared to the ETSU game
1: yeah I mean we talked about it clearly um and, you know, it, uh, that's pretty much what, you know, what, what we talked about. And, and I, I don't know, you know, if they beat ETSU 28 to 10 and just kind of go about their business and, and win the game, what happens in the Colorado State game? If they fall behind early, do they come back or do, was it just they sunk? As Clark Lee said, if you, people read this story in the Athletic by um, Pete Sampson, you know, opened up his post game by saying this is, you know, this is rock bottom. if if that was indeed rock bottom, and and would they have reacted the same way against Colorado State? Who knows. But th- the fact is, they did it. They bounced back, and it didn't matter. Like I said, it didn't matter where, who, what, any. You know, uh, they got it done, and they proved to themselves that th- they could do it. So um, I think you just got to tip their cap to them, and, and and you you know we all know they're going to be challenged this year from a, a talent standpoint. And what you want to see is them kind of maximize their talent and, and keep playing hard. And that's been, you know. That's the the uh, the task of every kind of any anytime you're in a, a big rebuild and you're a talent disadvantage. Can, can you keep the guys engaged throughout the entire season? And that's kind of what you want to see.
0: Well, I'm not defending them losing to ETSU at all, but it just seems like results have been all over the place. I mean, Alabama, which is the holy grail of consistency, wasn't that good against Mercer. Uh, I have a feeling those players are hearing about that as we speak. You know, Georgia scores 10 points in week one, albeit it's Clemson that's an elite team. I mean, it just seems to me like you have seen results from most teams all over the place. And I went into the season just saying I thought this was going to be a harder year to predict because the body of work last year was less. You had strange stuff going on with COVID opt-outs and, and just the, the quarantines and mental health. So it felt like this season would be a crapshoot. And it seems to me like through two weeks, you're seeing a lot of that play out on the field and just inconsistency across the board with a lot of teams.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. And I mean, there's there's been more FCS wins this year through two weeks than than ever before, I think. And, you know, we didn't speak last week, and this is in no way defending, you know, Vanderbilt because did not play well. But, you know, some of the upperclassmen on that team were on, were on the team two years ago that, that beat btsu handily and uh, it's human nature i don't care what the coaches tell you you can watch film and this team's better look at these guys they're older you know maybe vanderbilt would have been better off playing a team with similar talent but was named charleston southern or something else you know what i mean uh uh, i wonder if if that factored in at all it might might be nothing but i've kind of thought about that in the last couple weeks because kind of what you're saying with results all over the
0: place Well, coaches are in hard spots in those games, too, because they don't ever want to undersell an opponent or look ahead, but you see coaches sometimes, they'll rest some key players against an FCS-type team um, and then get on their team for, for maybe not playing as well as they expected, but then you kind of look and go, well, coach, you, you sent a little bit of a message yourself. Now I don't know that I blame the coaches in those spots, but those games really are traps sometimes for a number of reasons.
1: Yeah. And, and last thing on the subject, another thing, like, I, I think for the most part, when you execute and you, you take care of business, I think for a program like Vanderbilt, it's good to start off with a FCS opponent that you you'd think you could be, but maybe it would have been better to start with a road trip to Colorado state. It's a you know, it's a not they've been very good lately, but it's a program that has a lot of tradition. It's on the road, maybe you get their attention a little more. But then you can counter that with saying, "Hey, you have 12 games all year, you should have no problem getting up for any of them." So, but you know, we don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe ETSU was just better that day, and maybe they could have been as prepared and, and ready as 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 possible, and they still lost.
0: Mitch, that's all I've got for today. I will let you close this out with any parting thoughts, and please promote anything that you're doing at the athletic. As well as your Twitter and other social media accounts that you'd like people to follow.
1: All right, Chris. Um, so yeah, I'm at Mitch Light, and I will uh, I have a new podcast on the athletic. Ari Wasserman and I. Aris our national recruiting writer, and I'm Ari's editor. We have a uh, recruiting podcast called Stars Matter. It's uh, not really it's not like, okay, this past week these seven kids committed, and who's this kid going to visit? That's not it at all. It's a lot of big picture theory stuff. Uh, about recruiting trends, history, and stuff like that. So we've had three weeks so far, but you have to be an Athletic subscriber. Uh, You can find it at The Athletic. It's part of the Andy Staples feed at The Athletic, and it's uh, called Stars Matter. So give it a listen, and uh, so far it's been pretty fun.
0: Mitch, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week.
1: All right. Sounds good, Chris. Take care.